Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany, and all without shouting, Das ist verboten! I am Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who is totally over <laughs> dinner for one. So, Simon, why do you hate German culture? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I hate German culture, but this is something that, um, yeah, I, I'm over it. Totally over it. Um, when I was at school learning German, my German teacher at the time, who was an Englishman, he advised me that if I ever wanted to really upset a German, I should criticize dinner for one. Um, and so, yeah, here I am uh, ready to criticize it. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know, dinner for one is a, a truly iconic bit of TV uh, made in the 1960s. I think it was 63. It's only 18 minutes long, but it has been shown in Germany ever since on almost every single channel. It has become almost without realizing one of the most iconic elements of the new year celebration for germans uh, so you can like put in beer wine prosecco champagne fireworks and dinner for one and there you've got a really good new year's eve by most german standards um the beef i have with it and i'm sure you'll have experienced this as well doing the job that we've done for over a decade here in germany from january until about march if you ask someone How's it going? Uh, there's a reasonable chance that someone's going to go, huh, huh, same procedure as every year. And I'm just so sick of having to feign a smile and pretend that it's funny. It's, it's, the, it's the polite conversation that's attached to dinner for one, the sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> that I'm, I'm just totally over. I'll, ad I'll admit I've never, I've never watched dinner for one, but it's based essentially it's a comedy of, of British manners that involves a dinner party between a, um, an aristocrat and her dinner guests who aren't there, essentially they're all dead. Is the is the gag right? Exactly. So we we have an old we have an old lady who's who, who's sort of lady of the house, and she's being served by her butler, and he he acts for her benefit all all the different guests. Uh, so he is uh, an English gentleman. He is a, a German war hero, uh, and all of these people will have a different exclamation. Uh, whilst they drink their drink so he goes around the table pouring five or six glasses of wine and then he necks all of them um, whilst cheersing with with the lady uh, she always reminds me of like a miss havisham figure uh, of like dickens uh, sort of old lady locked away in a house doesn't get to see the outside world anymore the, the funny part is that he gets drunk um, and progressively loses his grasp of who is who and what they're supposed to say and there is also a i think it's a tiger or a lion like rug on the floor that he trips over multiple times so there is slapstick in there as well so i guess that's why it works visually it's quite funny it's repetitive which is a, a key component of german humor uh, i think the more you do something the funnier it gets and there's alcohol which i guess is just a, a prerequisite so yeah, it's it's definitely not comedy gold, but it's iconic. I mean, I think it was. It was comedy gold at a at a point. I the story behind it, I find, is way more interesting than the actual show. Uh, and I think the the like I, I I have to clarify. I've seen I've seen enough of it. I've just never watched it. Sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through. I've watched the start and I've seen the end. And I've, uh, I think, because of its repetition all the way through, it's 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 pretty clear what the what the sort of setup is. And it, to to a British person, it looks totally uh, it looks totally out of date <laughs> because it is out of date. It's it's from the the story behind it is basically this 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 entertainer called uh, Peter uh, Frankenfeld. And the director um, Heinz uh, Dunkhaser or Hazer, I think it's Dunkhaser. Heinz Dunkhaser. They went to Blackpool in the sixties, early sixties, and saw this as an end of the pier performance. An end of the pier was usually you have the piers that run off the different of the beaches, and they go out into the sea a bit, and they usually have some kind of theatre or um, some sort of entertainment. And they went to see this, fell in love with it, and then brought it back to Germany, recorded it. And that's the recording you see every year, is that recording that they did originally. So it's this recording from the 60s, black and white. And, and people love it. People really like it. And and I remember when I first came here, I didn't understand the joke. Because people would say it all the time when I first came. And I just didn't, I just would l like do the thing you would always do when you don't understand something, but you feel embarrassed for not understanding. So you just go, ha, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then like sort of, 
um, someone gave it to me as a as a present. I think a group gave it to me as a present after I finished training them, and and it's it's sort of an in joke, but it's uh, I think it's one of those things that is so ubiquitous. It's so it's on every year, so people sort of assume that that's British humour, but. I think when you start going into what what makes German humour, what makes British humour, you're in, into the weeds a little bit. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be. It is. And I mean, as you say, it is so ubiquitous that it sort of, it joins a very small club of English jokes uh, in, in speech marks there, in quote marks, that every German knows. The other one that often comes up is the Lorde Matthäus, uh, the, the fantastic footballer, but pretty weird dude who speaks with really bad English and he has come up with some some classics and there was a, a radio show based on Lodder English and the classic, the most famous one is Again What Learns which is a one-to-one translation of a German phrase. Oh yeah, you hear that all the time. And every single time that I reveal something interesting to a group, there would always be someone who'd be like, huh, again, what learnt? And it's like, you're, you, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you're ruining the joke. It fits into this category of English jokes, well, quasi-English jokes that everyone here knows. You're going to meet it a lot. I, I think over time I've, I've come to appreciate its existence. It's not something that, it's just not a tradition that I'm going to take part in. I think it's not something that I'm particularly interested in, but it's. Yeah, it, I mean, if it, it keeps, it keeps people thinking about English, and I like the idea that uh, it, it's sort of Sylvester New Year, people will sit down and watch a production in English. That I don't know. That just makes us kind of a little bit um, happy. I don't know if pride is really the term I would use, but it just it's an interesting thing. Interesting thing considering that in that how many. There's no one in Britain sitting down to watch a production in French or German or Dutch or um, Swedish or whatever. No, no, that that definitely wouldn't happen. I think it's really interesting when you see uh, interviews with sort of German Anglophiles. One of the things they often will reference is Monty Python. That's sort of the the baseline of like English comedy. And of course, we are we are blessed in England to have to have been to have this heritage of comedy of Monty Python and everything that came after it. As far as I know, there's no real equivalent. Uh, And Monty Python, of course, were also Germanophiles. They did a series of shows in German, um, and they didn't just translate English into German. Uh, A couple of them were very high-level German speakers who were able to craft jokes in German. I've studied German for years, and it's pretty rare that I find myself creating a really funny line uh often it's accidental if i say something funny in german i think it's just me making mistakes that makes people laugh uh, when i speak german or it's my accent so i just intentional comedy in german from me is probably a long long way away um yeah okay so this this week's a bit different this week's a bit different because we're we've uh, we wanted to start the year off with a different kind of episode than we usually do, so we're not going to look at any articles this week. We're actually going to play one of the original recordings that we did when we first started trying to make a podcast, and it is a, a discussion between Simon and I about how we moved to Germany and how we got here. And so we want to share that with you so you can get a bit of background on who we are and how we ended up here. Yeah, it should set us up nicely to go into the, the rest of the year. Yeah, as you've already said, I think it's nice to get a bit of background on us now. If you have stuck with us for the first uh, four episodes we published now, uh, there have been the occasional mentions of, of pieces of who we are and where we're from. Uh, but I think it is helpful to get a better understanding because apart from the fact that Nick and I sound quite different with our dialects, there are many, many things that, that make us very, very different people uh, from where we're from. But there are also many, many things that join us. Of course, being Englishmen in Germany is something we're pretty united on. Um, but there's there's a plethora of things that sort of don't really match up uh, and make us unique um, and so yeah, to get a bit more of a backstory on on how we've got here and our and our relationship with the country, yeah, I I, I hope it will be interesting. And yeah, I, I think it will be interesting for us to hear it back after so long. I mean, this is only what three months ago, I guess we recorded this. So the date the date of the file is the ninth of the ninth, twenty twenty. So this is way back in September when we first started doing sort of practice records. Yeah, the ninth of the ninth. There you go. 
I think it's a it's a very interesting peek behind the curtain uh, as to where this all began. We're still in our infancy, um, but this is really this is almost the uh, the, the conception <laughs> of the whole thing. We've cleaned up the quality, and and it should sound fairly similar to the normal podcast. But uh, yeah, please please enjoy this this trip down memory lane, and we'll join you next week with a, a normal episode. The first question, really, I guess, when you have to ask is uh, why we moved. We both live in southern Germany. We used to live in the same city, but now we are living in two different places in Bavaria. So what was it that led for you uh, to decide to leave home, to leave the UK? Uh, It's pretty simple. I met met a beautiful woman at university (laughs) and... It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Left, finished university, didn't know what I wanted to do. Spoke to my um, lecturer at the time, and he just asked us, why don't you move to Germany? And it seemed so, like, obvious. I felt so stupid. I was like, oh, right, yeah, that's what you would do if you've had a relationship with someone for so long over Skype and everything, of course. Oh, so he was aware that. that your girlfriend at the time was, or your, yeah. Yeah, she was yeah. German and he was like, yeah, why not just go for it? He didn't just love Germany to the point of recommending it to everyone. <laughs> yeah, he was a big fan. He just loved Germany. Um, was really into the culture. No, um, he was. He knew that and he knew that I'd been travelling back and forth for about, I guess it must have been about three or four years. That was about 2011. Okay. So um, he was he was sort of aware. And uh, he, just, he just asked us what I wanted to do. And I was like, ugh. You know, you know what you like when that age. You're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll stay working in this pub. Um, and it was just so obvious. I mean, my options were really move to London or move, move. Of course, to yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I like London. I'm, I'm, I'm part part Northerner who hates London, and also, <laughs> uh, um, someone who lives in a different country and appreciates appreciates the city. But yeah, so uh, packed all my stuff up. I think I'm, I think I made the decision. And like an hour later, I spoke to my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife. So it did work, listener. <laughs> Just spoil, no spoilers. <laughs> um, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, and I went, uh, I packed everything up, and then like put it on a, put my boxes on a. I think we got a truck or something that took it over. Haulage company, uh, three, four boxes. Got like a little corner of a haulage truck that was going to Germany, and then I got on a plane and left, and. It was pretty much that simple. And was it something that you and your wife had been discussing as an option, or was it kind of, had you both kind of thought our long-distance relationship, it might not work, and let's see how it goes, or was it always an idea of, of relocating her, staying in the UK after uni, or...? Ah, uh, there was no there was no chance she was no. going to move, like... Yeah, yeah, I think that was... And and, and I, at the time, I kind of... I guess I didn't think about it. You don't think about... I, maybe you do. Like, you sort of... You're looking for opportunities, or at least I was. And I just didn't think mm. about it. I didn't think about the ramifications. I didn't think about what it meant. Um, and it's only now, and when we're talking, that you start thinking about like what it's all meant for you over that time. I just I just yeah. sort of... We didn't talk about it. Uh, I think our rule was that you can only you can only plan six months in advance, and so we just like okay. that had always been a rule for a really long time. Like you can't. I think when you have a relationship <laughs> that over that distance, you're like you can't. You can't. Yeah, you can't plan anything. It's anything could happen. You That's know? like alarming levels of practicality. I mean, I've done long distance relationships in the past, and I think one of the things that they require, uh, well, for me at least, was this sort of hopeless sense of romanticism that it would work out and that it was all going to pan out in the future and to say uh, okay six months planning is a really sensible approach to it and sort of takes the uh, makes it more real i guess more manageable uh, and yeah it, it worked for you guys so i, su- I'm, yeah. I suppose I'm, I'm being overly practical like it was super romantic like our meeting was super romantic and like i'm not over egging the pudding it was like really sort of like it's it's worthy of of, of a low budget British, <laughs> British TV movie, you know. Um, I don't want to I don't want to sort of like push it too much, but yeah, we sort of would met each other, and she lived upstairs, and I, I thought there was no chance, and it turned out she really liked us, and mm. then there was a thing, and then we had an argument, and then she said she really liked us, and I was like, what? And then we got together, and it was it was great, you know, and 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 so it was already like quite a romantic. In, in, in for us at least and but I was older I was like I was 27 okay. 
by the time I, I finish university, but I guess I'm a little bit immature, I suppose, <laughs> in, my, in my thinking. But I knew what I wanted, and I knew I didn't want to stick around. And so mm. I'd mo- I moved from Scotland. Uh, I moved to Scotland when I was 15. I moved back to, to Newcastle to study. And then, like, travel and fl- going around the place was, like, the most exciting thing when you come mm. from, when you basically spend 10 years in a little town in scotland the idea of just going anywhere <laughs> like you're going to asda oh yeah that's great what an adventure you know so so you would like yeah anything would have been better than than, than staying there for me at least and so it just yeah that's what what happened got on a plane did it and i and then i was in germany and getting a bit freaked out by the fact that i realized i now live here. <laughs> I still i'm a bit freaked out about the fact i live here like yeah yeah what about you how did you like i don't think we've discussed it this much this much detail no i don't think we have did you? uh yeah i mean mine was also sort of an element of chance um i've got a, a sort of longer history with this country i was actually born here um my dad worked here um for years uh in jobs mm. related to the military and so I grew up in and around army bases, um, and I, I first. Can, can I in, can I interrupt yeah. you? Jo- jo- jobs jobs in and around the military just makes him sound like he was a sort of a, an assassin. Or I think, it, it's, yeah, he wasn't an assassin. That's for sure. Uh, it's far more educational role. <laughs> <laughs> but that also sounds like a, a covert way of saying assassin. Um, so your dad was a special forces officer, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> not in any way, shape, or form. Um, but he did end up working for the army uh, in the uh, in mm-hmm. Germany, and yeah, that's where I and my brother were both born. And I first uh, lived in England when I was four. Um, but obviously, growing up in a military uh, environment, like you, you communicate with other British kids. Uh, it wasn't a very sort of German experience. We had neighbours who were German. Um, and because of this otherness that I got from being born in a different country when I was at school and in England, I was always really proud uh, of being born here. I thought it was cool. It was different. Uh, it's not the same as uh, being born in Guildford, uh, where I grew up. Um, mm. my, both my parents are from uh, different parts of the country. Mum's from Yorkshire, East Riding. Uh, and Dad grew up in, uh, in the black country uh, in Shropshire. Um, and then, yeah, me and my brother grew up in Surrey and Sussex. Uh, because of school and and parents' work, so there wasn't really much of a sense of connection uh, to Surrey, especially. And I always knew growing up that I'd never be able to afford uh, to stay where I was from. Uh, the, the property values just rocketed uh, during my lifetime, and so I knew that I wasn't interested in staying in the southeast. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, I did German A-level, uh, carried on with that and had a teacher who really got me fascinated uh, in the sort of cultural stuff. It's when I first read uh, German philosophy and I learned about uh, sort of German history beyond uh, the Second World War. Um, and he just introduced me to, to things that no one else had at that point. And so I did a uh, school trip when I was doing my A-levels. And we came to Bavaria, and that was my first time down here in the south. Um, and yeah, we came to Nuremberg, where I live now, and uh, where Nick used to live. Um, we did Munich, and we did all the sort of things you expect to see down here. Uh, ten years later, I'd spoken no German at all and not really thought about the country very much. Uh, and I just came home uh, from six months traveling in South America. Um, and yeah, I, I was now an English teacher. Um, and my plan was to work in Italy or Spain, ideally, because I wanted a nice climate. And yeah, why not <laughs> Italy or Spain? Um, yeah. After about three months of having no luck, uh, applying for jobs from Birmingham. Like every everyone's applying for that, yeah. that, that position. Italian, Ital- Italy or, Italian or Spain? Italy or Spain? Yeah, sure. Like That's the place. Entry-level teaching position. In. Yes, everyone's, everyone's yeah, qualified yeah. suddenly. Right. Um Exactly. And so, yeah, I kind of thought, okay, well, I might as well include Germany in the search. Um, and then, yeah, did that. And the first listing on the job page was for a job in Nuremberg uh, or Nuremberg, uh, as it was written in this advert. Um, mm-hmm. I applied for it. I think the next day I did a telephone interview. And three days later, I was in uh, a, comp- a corporate uh, teaching room uh, for a company in Rottenburg of the Tauber. Uh, about oh, wow. an hour and a half away from here. Um, just for just for the list, listener, is it Rotenberg is like 
the most beautiful Bavarian village in, or town in, in I don't, is it a Stadt? I'm probably going to get the <laughs> hunting me down. Um, it's just, it's a, one of the most beautiful cities in in, in It's Germany. picture perfect, and it sort of um, it it got used in the 80s, I think, for a uh, a tourist campaign video for Germany uh, for J- the Japanese. And it became like this icon uh, for Japanese travelers. If you came to Germany, you had to go to Rottenburg of the Tauber. Uh, right, and that spread right. to, to China and South Korea. And so it has become super famous in Asia. Um, it's also the home of a company called Keita Wolfhart, uh, which is probably the most successful and famous uh, Christmas ornament manufacturer in Germany today. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah they have yeah. shops in the UK, uh, in York. I know there's one that's there the whole year round. Um, and so, yeah, you can go to this very small, very beautiful town uh, and tick off a load of stuff. Uh, you can go to the Christmas uh, like wonder market. Uh, you can really experience this whole uh, sort of little German fairy tale, Hansel and Gretel imagery. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's a cool place. Um, but yeah, if you live and work there, it's not exactly rock and roll. <laughs> There's two things I was thinking when you were saying that. The first thing is that that it's interesting how, in in a couple of ways, like our our sort of stories intersect in the way that, like you were motivated by by sort of an educator, mm. who or in 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 some capacity, uh, and uh, as was I, and that we both basically just like got on a plane, yeah. <laughs> just did it, you know, just like went, and I think. I think for me, for me, it's always felt like the most obvious thing. <laughs> and then when you talk to people, like, and it's, I guess that's the like, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I discovered going back to Britain for the first time was like somehow I'd gone up in status in okay. some way yeah. among like certain people, not like everyone, because not everyone gives a, a rat's ass about traveling or or, or going to, living in Germany, especially. But like certain people, you'd say like I'd stop. People started introducing us as, as like this is uh, this is Nick. He lives in Germany. That became like my like sort of little like introduction, and people would often go like Ooh. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's always met with that, yeah. And even even when I was living in like a tiny apartment, <laughs> like just in like shit hole, like I think everyone kind yeah. of realizes how how daunting that prospect can be. Um, the idea of leaving your home, your your family, your friends, especially if you've lived in one place, if you're really from that town or that village. Um, but that's something we both share as well. Um, we lived in places where we weren't from uh, as children. Um, and yeah, that, that creates not a disconnect, but you, you feel there's more flexibility. You know, you knew that it was perfectly reasonable to go and live in Scotland. Um, like you can survive, like you yeah, can yeah. go, and you it didn't it didn't kill us. I mean, I think it was the re- it was the reverse for me, in some sense because I'd moved to Scotland and then spent like nine years trying desperately to get out of Scotland. And like I love Scotland; it's one of my favorite countries. And and but as like a teenage kid, it wasn't the easiest experience mm. for us as a sort of uh, rather overweight ginger afro <laughs> sort of en- english guy rocking around like lardy you target know, you poor like, thing yeah 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 but I, I think in a lot of ways brought it down on myself <laughs> but um i was a bit of a smart ass um but i mean regardless that's my personal experience but it's um like what i was desperately trying to get out and then i got to newcastle with this assumption that oh like i live in newcastle but then i realized like as soon as the opportunity to leave newcastle came up it was like well it isn't it's not impossible i think my mum gave us a good bit of advice like she's all you can always come back you can always come back and like as soon as someone says that to you you know it sort of fortifies you a bit yeah i think i mean it is it's easy to imagine that these decisions are sort of really are forever because you have to believe in it being a really long-term solution to to uproot your life in that way um but yeah you have to always know that the home exists uh, and it'll be populated by by parents and close fa- uh, close friends and family um but yeah it, it hasn't really crossed my mind uh to go home <laughs> but i think and it's not mine either uh, to be honest and certainly not at the moment but um the i mean i don't even think of it as home necessarily i i think i did a lot of 
like psychological spring cleaning before I moved. Like I was like really focused on the idea. Like I can't talk about home. Like I was really careful about how I spoke okay. about it in my like in my own presence. You, know <laughs> what I mean? like, you were sort of. I couldn't. I couldn't think of it as home because I think it would have ruined it slightly. Because mm. my brothers all live there, and you, your your brother lives lives there now with with his his wife and uh, two yeah. kids, and, and so it's it's like it's uh, it's a it's difficult to think about. But um, uh, I think ultimately like that's a decision I made quite consciously. Like I'm not going to talk about home, which is interesting because you 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 do talk about home, don't you? You sort of see you maybe have a different perspective on what home is yeah i mean for me home is is lots of different places uh and it it's easiest to talk about britain as home um but yeah when i go back i have to there are three places i i I want to go to and need to go to um yeah my brother and his wife and their kids uh, down in Mm -hmm. in surrey um my dad Mm -hmm. in in telford and my mum in yorkshire and the place where i feel best represents home is actually yorkshire uh, and I've never lived there. I, it's just it's been really? where my grandparents are from, and where we went on a holiday, right. and where my mum has lived now for the last ten years. But I, yeah. I never, I never had a postcode uh, in Yorkshire. But when I'm there, it's the place that I feel sort of best clarifies this sort of what I think of as home, uh, the the most romantic parts of it, because where I sort of feel the most affinity for, I haven't been back to in nearly 20 years now and that's like the surrey hills uh, where i got my first jobs where i worked in my first pubs um where i learned to drive where i got my independence like that is sort of the heart of where i grew up but i have no connection to it anymore everyone's left um so yeah i haven't actually been home um sort of where i would like to be yeah for nearly 20 years um but yeah, home, I, I guess it's a shorthand of saying like family uh, for me these days. Um, because yeah, when I think of my friends, like my, my best friends from back home, I met them all in Cardiff. Uh, and they're from Bournemouth and London and other places. And so there's not really one place that I can go to and be like, okay, now I'm home and everyone's around. It requires a lot of travel and a lot of effort. Um, and yeah, during these travel restricted times the idea of going home now isn't really realistic because to go to three different people is a minimum um it just seems like too much of a risk uh with the current situation yeah. well you said something interesting there you were like sort of like ho- ho- something like along the lines of home homes where where your family is basically and i think um I, that's it exactly like i've got I've got the similar sort of experience in that sort of um, my family's just spread out around Newcastle. Okay. That's the difference. So there's lots of different bit like you sort of do the tour, you know, and you see try and stay with everyone, see everybody. Um, but it's all quite sort of in one. I can get on a metro. I don't have to get several trains. I think there was one Christmas we tried to see each other and it was a bit like getting our file of faxes <laughs> out and going like, well, I'm going to be in this area like this. <laughs> so like getting a map out and charting where yeah. you were going to go. Because it was like you, you would, you were, you were dotting around. You're like, I'm going to be here for two days, and then I'm going to be there and there. Mm. Um, and I think that's always that's always a challenge. And I think it's, it's hard for some families because that's a really new thing. Um, my dad is the first person in his family that didn't live in in Wellington in Shropshire, and me and my brother were the first part of our family that had had not grown up there and hadn't lived there. And the rest mm. of my cousins, my my uncles and aunties, they all live within. 20 miles of each other in Shropshire and because of the way that me and my brother ended up speaking like the dialects we developed growing up in the south there was always a sort of disconnect uh, between us especially when we were young like we sounded like rich boarding school kids because in comparison to the rest of my family that's exactly what we were and um, as we got older that that division has disappeared and now we have really good relationships with them um, but yeah growing up it was I always got the feeling that I was different from the rest of my family. Um, and yeah, geography was the only thing. Um, and yeah, the type of school I went to as well. Um, that was pretty unusual. Well, all I've ever heard about my accent is, uh, someone will say, where are you, f- 
where are you from? And I'll say Newcastle, and the, and they'll be like, oh, you don't sound like you're from Newcastle. Like, honestly, everybody. And it's you really like, do. Like, I'm meant to, and I'm like, I have no idea. I have no perspective. And especially now that I, I've been teaching English for 10 mm. years, I can't, I can't rock, rock around going like, I'll read. Now we're going to have a class on... You, know, you can't like do that because you just you get fired. Yeah. Just be like, get out. Who is this guy? Um, and so, like, I've just had to sort of deal with like in in Scotland, I sounded Geordie, but never Geordie enough. Yeah, that's got a sting. <laughs> like, like to have your identity questioned yeah, in that totally. way. All the time. Yeah, as a southerner, I've never had that problem. No one's ever said to me, "Oh, you don't sound southern enough," and I felt bad about it. That's that's a real like positive thing when I hear that. <laughs> as soon as you get south, like if you're not from sort of Wales or you're you're south of sort of um, of of what they call like the north in in sort of uh, in, in the media in Britain at least, which is basically Manchester. Like you get further south than sort of Nottingham, and you sort of realise there's a sort sort of Essex has obviously a different accent, but that you have this generalised southern <laughs> accent, like received pronunciation. But yeah, you, uh, that was that was always a th- that's always a thing, and it's been a it's been the bane of my life learning German as well, because because you just <laughs> you end up saying words and just being like, well, that's what it sounds like to me. And there'll someone the worst ones when someone says a word and you go, all right, and then you say the word back to them, you repeat it back to them, and they go, uh, they go, no, that's incorrect, and you're like. It's that's what I've heard you say that word. This is the word that you said, and you just, uh, it drives you madness, madness. <laughs> so, um, uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was like what we missed about about the UK, and I've already said that mm-hmm. I sort of consciously said like oh, I'm not going to talk about home, and this is my home, and my home is where my wife is, and and where my new life is, and. And I have to think about it in that way, just psychologically. I also did the things with the things I miss. I just like deleted. I like okay. it's like a folder. I like deleted or like just threw away. Just, like, <laughs> I just forgot. I had to forget about. I had to forget about Greg's. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really a challenging thing to forget because that is just universally good um, British fast food. Yeah. Greg's the bakers for the, the listener who might not be aware is, um, yeah, it's just fast food, isn't it? It's, it's sort of, it's convenience food, but with like, uh, um, a veneer of, of traditionalism. It's like, this is traditional food that we always used to eat. And you're like, are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't sure? It wasn't better. <laughs> I know you're like, yeah. Miners ate these once. Mm-hmm. Uh, eat these, and you'll be a tough Englishman. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's all good stuff: sausage rolls and steak bakes, and these, these classics that you would see in the windows of any um, good sort of bakers up north, especially and in the Midlands. Um, yeah, down in Guildford, we didn't have that much in the way of like steak bakes. Um, mm-hmm. It was more. Yeah, boutique patisseries uh, around my neck of the woods. Uh, did you? Do, some, do you miss the souffles? I miss the shoe buns <laughs> desperately. <laughs> oh, shoe buns, yeah, shoe buns, okay. But we had chocolate eclairs. That's something close, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, if they're made by Cadbury's, they don't count. I think. <laughs> oh, harsh, harsh. So it's like food. Food's a big thing, though. You see that a lot. A lot of people talk about. I mean, I've I've joined loads of expat Facebook groups because I'm a weird, sinister <laughs> stalker of, uh, of of people who've moved to different countries. And I just find it interesting to see the conversation. Sometimes they're getting involved, but I try not to because a lot of it's quite toxic. Mm. But uh, what you do see repeated is po- people posting care packages from yeah. home. Uh, again, in inverted com- home, you know, like there's people living in Germany who've got care packages from Britain where it's like chocolate buttons and birds custard. Yeah. And, and I look at those boxes and I'm like, why do you even care? Like most of that stuff you can yeah, either make or do yourself. Yeah. But like, I think we've got different perspectives on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I, there are certain things that when I get the opportunity to have them, like I will definitely buy them. I hate being price gouged though, so I do have my limits. Like I'm not going to pay five euros for a dairy milk. But if I see one that's reasonably priced, I'm going to have that and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. Um, but I do have, like, I have to have my Yorkshire tea. Like that's that's a line in the sand for me that, that cannot be crossed. Um, but apart from that, I've kind of drifted away from a lot of the food stuff. But yeah, when someone says to me, what do you miss most of England? One of the top answers will be bacon. 
um, because yeah, the, the bacon you get back home, uh, being able to choose between smoked and normal cured is a real luxury. Uh, the thickness is perfect for a sandwich. And here in Germany, we get really thin sliced stuff uh, that burns too quickly. It's, it doesn't contain much flavor. So yeah, there is that. And, and cheese, I do miss a good cheddar. But we can get that here uh, in supermarkets now. That's a Cathedral City is available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, That's suddenly become available. It is everywhere. <laughs> uh, and it's quite dear. And it's not that great. I think we get a sort of B-grade EU export version of it. Uh, I don't get the crystals in it anymore. I miss them. Are you, are you saying like this, you know how Guinness always tastes better in Ireland? Yeah. Is it like a cathedral city tastes better in, in the, the home counties of England? Yeah, I think the, the Somerset milk makes all the difference or wherever they source their, their stuff. Hey, you might have a point there, I don't know. Uh, I was just looking up because I was curious when he said dairy milk and what a reasonable price was. Uh-huh. Um, this is for a um, 360 gram, no, sorry, 100 gram bar. 360 gram just um 100 gram bar of uh of dairy milk oh wait i know it is 360 grams i'm i'm telling porky pies here i was trying to find basically it's got the price of what 100 grams of dairy milk is what would you say 100 gram of dairy milk costs in euros is that available here you mean or is that back home? only you know in pounds like what's what do you reckon the pound value is for 100 a, grams of dairy milk uh yeah yeah oh god it's like catching up boris johnson with a milk question i'm gonna go 89p 89p oh yeah real close super close 83 pence i'm really happy with that guess i'm really proud right, so of that's your base price <laughs> that's your base price what's the highest price you would you would pay for a dairy milk if you came across it in a shop here i'd triple that i'd go triple price i think 300 percent. i'd be i can justify to myself um it would be uh, dairy milk like just a normal dairy milk i can do that with a double decker I'd probably go to four times the price for a double decker. Um, there's a lot of stuff I wouldn't care about. But yeah, double decker and dairy milk, those would be the uh, the two that I would go crazy for. Yeah, I, I got I suddenly got sort of really into really into Yorkshire tea for a long time. I didn't drink any tea at all. It's just like yeah, coffee. Like I'm involved here. Like I didn't bother to learn the language, but I'm like <laughs> I'm going to pick up all the culture. <laughs> like, like honestly, for so long I was just like, ah, oh, the German's too hard, and 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 I'm not very good at it, and I just sort of avoid speaking it. But then like do all the other stuff as well. But no, I have no idea what anyone was saying while it was happening. Um, so like that was my existence. And then it was like there was a point where I started drinking tea again. And then it had to be Yorkshire tea. I think my mum might have bought mm. us some for Christmas or something. Like she sort of ran out of ran out of like the various gifts that your mother your mother might buy you on Christmas and was like, "Here's." I get Yorkshire tea every year from my mum. It's just a staple present in our family. Now, now she gets she still she still does it. It's it's a it's a boon, really is. But um, <laughs> so I, I got that and started drinking tea again. The bacon thing, I get, I get the bacon thing, but um. Yeah, there's no buts on that. I totally understand. Like you would really, you really, it's confusing being in Germany when you've got amazing like butchers and 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 uh, a very sort of high quality of um, um, sort of meat products. Mm-hmm. Sounds, sounds really sinister. Sounds the term meat products. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, bloody innuendo. No, there's a, there's a, a, a great range of sort of, of products available. The only one that's not available is thick cut bacon, and it makes you wonder what the hell happened. How did they miss this? Because yeah. it's not it's not an English thing. It's we call it Danish cuts. Um, and yeah, when I first moved here, there was a, a butcher's in the south of the city where they had a guy who I think was Scottish. Um, he was like worked in the back room, and if you walked in and be like, "Can I get some real bacon?" They'd like send him out. <laughs> he'd like talk to you about how many how how much you want, how thick a cut. <laughs> Uh, and he'd sort you your, your British bacon. Um, but yeah, I don't live in that part of the city anymore, so I haven't been back. Maybe he's still there doing bacon for expats. I don't know. <laughs> you, do, you do have that, like, like among the community of, of like, of, of sort of British British people living in Germany, there'll be like a you'll hear someone go, "I found some bacon," and yeah. or like, or like someone will like, honestly, it's happened in WhatsApp. I think I think one of the lads we know has posted a photo of, of some bacon that he found, and everyone's like, "Where did you find the bacon?" Yeah. And it is like sort of a, a really highly desirable product, but um, but again, I, I sort of I compartmentalized that and was like bacon is for the for the british like once i realized mm. i couldn't get it i was just like right i'm all in but uh like that that backfires because i think after a while the, the things that 
because it's a comfort blanket, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. you move to a different country, and yet I got rid of all these things, and suddenly I had a sort of like crisis of 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 like who who am I? You know, not, not so deep. <laughs> I don't think I was like in the street ripping my shirt, going like who am I? Um, but like you sort of do begin to wonder because the things that you, you you sort of define yourself by a lot of different things, but part of that's the like the stuff you like, you know, and mm. and and if like fifty percent of the things you like, you just can't do anymore. Um, yeah. I think it's also about finding alternatives. I mean, for me, because I'd spent a lot of time here throughout my, my youth, I, I was aware of good German food. So like, it wasn't scary for me to go shopping and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to buy now. Um, and yeah, things like chocolate, like Cadbury's is my number one because of my childhood. But there's, of course, tons of amazing chocolate here. It's just about not having that particular flavor. Um, well, they make it differently as well, different, different ingredients, Indeed. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There is something special about it, but a Milka is a, a perfectly decent plan B. Lint is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, like, in fact, you're getting a better product uh, probably with standards. And that's one of the things I find really interesting about some of our friends. Like, our Scottish friends um, will always be like, oh, square sausage. Like, that's such a priority. Oh, for yeah, them. definitely. And Loin sausage, yeah. Like, yeah. you're getting definitely an inferior product like compared to the sausage we we can buy here like the rules are different the meat quality mm-hmm. is higher x y and z but there's something about that familiarity that's so key you understand the scott the scottish are going to come and get you for calling <laughs> <laughs> scottish are like oh god damn you. On ingredients only i i'm I've, i'm probably justified i'll i'll stick up for scotland here against this horrific southern <laughs> <laughs> no um no no it's uh, 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 that's obviously a joke it's not a joke um no what um what i was gonna say is uh it is like that square sausage is one of the most amazing things in the world like and i can mm-hmm. i can't dig it i can't totally dig it but um iron brew i'll pay anything for a can of iron brew i won't look up for it won't look for it won't hunt it down but if I'm walking past a shop and it's like five pounds for a, a can of iron brew, I'll be like, yeah, I'll pay that. No bother. I'll pay. <laughs> Even for the new formula. Um, I actually haven't tried new formula. Yeah, I, I just know that it caused a real uproar. Um, oh, yeah, you don't screw with like, you don't screw with tradition, man. <laughs> Come on. I think hell, I think it was the doctors who did it though. I think it was just too unhealthy to consume. Yeah. The fact that it's the sugar tax, isn't it? So, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if a few more people, don't get diabetes then like yeah obviously that's a better outcome you know than like let me go like well this tastes different i i mean to be honest i have i think if you drank it regularly you probably could tell the difference i drank i drink it so infrequently because it is a kind of uh, mm. it's like seeing a um a stag in a clearing on a sort of autumn morning you know like seeing iron <laughs> brew on the shelf you just don't i just you don't see it that much and there's only certain places you ever catch it so when i do see it i'm like mm. i definitely buy it but uh yeah I, I, I don't, the things the things I really miss were less about food and more about like hobbies and and what you like. I missed being able to, uh, like the crack, you know, like go and not. I'd miss crack, mm. missed crack, baby. <laughs> no, I missed I missed going like <laughs> going to a shop, and you get that a lot in Newcastle. You go to a shop and you're like you'll just have like an interaction with someone that's kind kind of nice, and that isn't yeah. partially it's because the culture's different, but partially it's on me because my. Now my German's better. I get a little bit of that, can I, like, but you don't, you don't have the jokey sort of back and forth that you would get, um, in a lot no. of places. Uh, that just isn't a thing. And so there was little things like that that I missed, um, and I found sort of difficult to adjust to. You get a lot of people walking around going like, "Oh, the Germans are, are this, and the Germans are like that," and and I guess they are in comparison to, to Britain. But you can only, I guess, you can only say that if you assume that Brit- the British way is the right way. Which I don't necessarily like. The, this is the right way to communicate, but like that little like bit of communication where you you have a shopkeeper like a corner shop like make a joke or something, or a woman at a checkout saying like sort of see you later, love or something like that. You just yeah, yeah. I I think that informality is something that I definitely miss. Yeah, miss from home. Um, I one of my first jobs after uni was in the call center for uh, West Midlands Water, and we had we dealt with like it Kidderminster where they say duck to each other. All right, duck. And like for me, that was just a highlight of my day, getting phone calls and people saying like duck at the end of it. It just felt really nice and friendly and informal. And of course, German as a language is set up to almost do the opposite. Um, we're both in our 30s. And if we walk into a shop, 
the, we should expect to be, to have like the Z form, the formal form of the language used with us. And it would be weird if someone used the do form, the informal. Um, but yeah, maybe in a in a shop that sells like doner kebabs or doner, as they call them here, um, it, you might get a do. You might get the informal style of language, but sort of respect linguistically is built into the language in such a strict way that like this banter uh, or crack um, is is missing. But it's also it fits because of where we live in Germany. Um, like my wife is from uh, Nordrhein-Westfalen, which is like on the Dutch border. Um, and yeah, it's the home of like the largest metropolitan region in, in Europe, uh, with Dusseldorf and Duisburg and Essen, like really big industrial cities. Uh, and it has a mining history. And so it's really, it's working class. Uh, and the people there are just, they, they are different uh, from how they are down here. Um, and yeah, during the last 10 years, my wife and I, we had three years where we lived in Portland, Oregon, and uh, the Pacific Northwest. And those three years of just incredible customer service, incredible friendliness everywhere I went. When I came back, I, it took me six months to get over the culture shock of people just not being nice to me uh, and like not trying to make me happy. Yeah, it's really... Um, and yeah, my local bakery, I've been going to it since 2010. Uh, and there's one woman there who, whenever she sees me, she says hello to me and looks me in the eye. All the other members of staff, every time it's like they don't know who I am. Uh, I'm six foot three. I've got a massive beard. Like I stand out. And only one of them have I managed to develop a friendship with after 10 years. I worked in retail <laughs> for a long time, so I totally appreciate it when retail staff just treat customers like a, a dog shit. It's like, I'm, it's kind of like, I'm kind of like want to raise my fist and go like, yeah, do it. Like, I totally get it because anyone who works in retail who doesn't own the company hates customers. Like, they're the bane of your life because they cause you so many problems. And like, like we always used to joke, like, the job would be great if it wasn't for the customers. <laughs> you know, like, but mm. it was true, you know, it was sort of, it was a true, true thing. But um, I... I remember, right, there's two things I remember about where we talk about service, right? I remember being in a restaurant on my birthday, and I can't remember who it was, and I'll not name and shame, but someone who we were with on my birthday, this is years, like decades ago, right, um, got really upset about the service. And I remember thinking, like, having, I think I was pushing trolleys at the time or something, and I was like, I hate people like that. <laughs> I hate people like, mm -hmm. get really angry about it, because it's, but then... And uh, uh, then I contrast that with when I came to see you in the US yeah. uh, in 2016 and was st <laughs> stopped in this motel and they had like a casino or something. It was the only place you could buy a beer and everyone went to bed except me and I was sort of like 10 o'clock in the middle of like some weird American town. And I was like, well, this is fun. Um, went to the bar, got a beer and there was someone in the restaurant connected to the bar just screaming at the wait staff going like um like demanding this that and the other and he goes i pride myself on getting good service and i thought that's such a cr such a crazy thing to say but it's a crazy thing to say only only within the pers my, my perspective if you think about like in america like service is kind of kind of connected with like like how you it's like respect isn't it to a certain for certain people i imagine and I think there is such universal, like, customer service concepts that, like, you expect people to call you sir or ma'am. You interact with people in, in the service industry in the US, a lot of the time it's, like, just, it's complete. Like, you can ask for anything. And when we went, my wife and I went to the US for the first time, I was totally ready. I, I like, loved American, like, American culture. I was brought up on American TV shows. I was totally like down for like now I get to try all these things I've heard about, and so like the first restaurant we went to, I was like ordering off menu, just going like, can I get this? Like just seeing like, can I get more bacon? And they're just like, yeah, like whatever you want, like have whatever you want. And it's like, right, okay, like that's the system, and it's quite freeing to go like, oh, I'd like to have this, but like without these things, man, have these things, and that's probably being a pain in the ass to these people, but um, that that they were just like, yeah, no problem try that in a restaurant in Germany. Like, oh, I can have no bacon in this cheeseburger. And they'll be like, no. <laughs> Just no.
Is it the the broad the broadside like? They're so good. I well, not the knurdle, but the. Mm-hmm. But I think that's I think especially with traditional food, there's like a very clear concept of what it is and what it isn't. Like the people have and it's it's the same amount of anger that is created when you make a cup of tea wrong in the UK. If you like put put the milk in and then put the tea bag in, and then put the hot water in. Someone's liable to execute you. <laughs> you know, like, like someone will just pop up and go, "Like, no, you're doing it wrong, you scumbag." There was a there was a woman on Twitter. I like God bless her. Like this was skills. American, I think Texan or something. Like she kept making videos about. Uh, she'd obviously clicked really early on. The first video she posted was about iced tea or something like that. And someone had posted something saying like, "This is not how you make tea." And then the next thing she she basically was just trolling British people by like like put like making the most ridiculous tea recipes, like putting it in the microwave, making it from powder, putting loads of sugar in it, like freezing it, like and she was getting like loads of retweets and loads of likes. And I was just like, skills. Like you've obviously seen how how ridiculous ridiculous people can be about the things that they really really love you know but you get i get it like i get it so but i think in germany is a very rigid concept about about certain foods you know they, they this is how you do this and this is how you do that and these foods go together and these foods don't and this is this is the order of the foods and 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 you've got outliers like sort of michelin starred art um like art house restaurants that will make a cloud of vice versa or something like that you know they'll, they'll do like sort of quite extreme recipes but it's yeah it's it's like there's a rigidity to it there's a there's a, a process to it back to the present day and that brings us to the end of the show uh, thanks for listening to the fifth episode of Decades From Home. We totally appreciate the support, the comments, the likes, and more than anything, we're really appreciative of those of you who have rated the podcast and liked the podcast, shared the podcast. More of that certainly helps, and we really appreciate all the things you say and all the nice stuff, all the emails and stuff like that. That's great. So keep those coming in. If you want to send us a question, if you want to ask us anything, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. His Twitter uh, has been unblocked. You might have seen him tweeting over the last few weeks. So please get in contact with him with any questions about the podcast. Or you can tweet me at 40%German. Um, also, you can go to 40%German.com. Again, we have plenty of articles on there, interesting stuff for you to read. Uh, we try and post at least one article a week, new article a week. Uh, you can join the newsletter or even if you would like to contribute please reach out and let us know if you've got an interesting story you want to share on the website please do that too thanks for joining and uh, we look forward to you listening to us we look forward to making more podcasts throughout 2021 uh, and speak to you all soon see you next week